You're watching Mallrats, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mallrats podcast. We've got an amazing show for you guys today. This is episode five of the Book of Boba Fett. My name is Nolan. I'm Bob. And today we will be going over episode five, which I've already said, but episode five, and it is titled The Return of the Mandalorian. Thank God. I know. Uh, How long did you say it was? It says 51 minutes, and I think we comment on it each time that with the recap, with the credits, and all of that, that takes, I don't know, what, three minutes, four minutes off? 40-ish minutes. So we got like a 45-minute episode. One of the longest ones, was certainly. Amazing. Essentially just a Mandalorian episode, which was an, a gift since it's been around a year since we got season two. Uh, this is directed by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, if I do remember. Um, you know, actor, director. Uh, Double daughter talent. of daughter. a director. It's, eh, whatever, that, does, that doesn't matter. We shouldn't be defined by our families. I would agree, and I think she's doing a – I don't think she had any directorial credits that I'm aware of um, until she did the high-profile Mando episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Her first one was the – oh, I don't even remember the name of it. It's the one with the krill farmers, um, you know, where Mando takes Grogu – well, Baby Yoda at the time – and hides out amongst this community. Uh, and then they, uh, uh, the Clatoonians, I always say Clatoonians, but it's Clatoonians. Uh, and I don't know, were there Nyctos? You were uh, talking about. I don't, I don't think there was. Uh, it was chapter four, Sanctuary of season one. Sanctuary. That's right, because they needed Sanctuary and to, and to, to escape everything. And then she did uh, uh, one more episode, second season, and it was after. We've uh, much lampooned the, the, we call it the frog lady frog episode, lady episode. but it's uh, the passenger. And then, um, you know, it was just fluff to help give some story of Mando to get back to, uh, well, to keep the story moving. And then that's the episode where we meet Bo-Katan uh, and her little, um, I don't even know what True. they're called. Crew, yeah, crew, um, and that was really a, a, a great episode there. So I mean, she's done some wonderful stuff. And granted, that we only really know her from Jurassic World. Um, and uh, was that was it Nosedive? That Black Mirror episode? Uh, I think so. It's like the Meow Meow Beans. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, that was uh, so. I she's doing a great job. I in this particular episode. Um, it was wonderful, and yes, it was Mando. It was a Mando episode. Um, I don't know if people love that or not. I mean, I think some people who are crapping on Boba Fett's stuff, it's because it's not Mando, and so <laughs> uh-huh. you know what I mean. And so this might just be a great uh, refresher or to make them even more excited for what's coming in these last couple episodes. You know, I don't know if you agree. Um, but, uh, I had no problem, um, having this little escape. Um, it really does serve as, a uh, do you want to call it a prologue from the, the last Mando, uh, uh where we saw him? I, I guess it, its a, purpose you know, is just a flashback getting us from point A to point B and it does a nice job of that. It's got a story that we probably wouldn't have heard of on 
the actual Mandalorian season. And... Uh, well, they saved one. I mean, I think you could copy and paste it and drop it into the Mando, the first episode <laughs> premiere, right? Um, I, I think so. what it did, it, it, with those questions we have, and really it was just in anticipation for season three, which they're shooting right now, supposedly. And we got to wait until either December or next year for it. Um, and so it was just a wonderful present and gift that, uh, you know, we we didn't know that it was coming. Yes, it was teased that, you know, we heard the music in the last episode. But for him to show up that first scene, uh, yes, please. And the fight. Oh, my God. We've never seen him move like that. You know what I mean? And kind of I, I just it was one clunky, though, you know, untrained. Well, we find why it was clunky because I went back to watch it again and knowing that it's clunky and it's heavy for him. I understand it a bit more. I just thought he was being a beast with it Um, (laughs) that where he drags it, you know, on the ground to uh, I thought that was like for effect. I mean, Luke and uh, did it in the rescue, not necessarily dragging on the floor, but just that low angle as he walks towards his next kill. Um, I, I just, it was wonderful. Um, it was a, maybe a nice breather from the flashbacks and getting ready for Pikes and just all that new stuff. It was warm. It was a warm blanket for us fans who just tuned in for this. Yeah. Just keeping us going. Yeah. And, um, as we'll talk when we get to the end, you know, uh, is he going to have as much screen time going forward, you know, and, uh, I love how I love when cameos and spoiler free stuff, we don't know that he's coming. Um, and that's why the little music teases last episode were like, oh, Din's coming, you know, Mando's coming. And that was pretty exciting. And then to see him, just his silhouette when he walked, you know, it starts in the scene. I guess we can start, you know, now. Yeah, we're, we're scene starting one <laughs> with the meat locker. You see a lot of those uh, Clatoonians walking around. Um, and uh, I have no idea what animal that is, by the way. Um, a dead but, animal. Uh, a big animal. So it's like a steer butcher place. And he's just, uh, there's a plastic doorway and silhouetted. He just strides right behind it. And you can tell by his stance. But for me, I noticed his Beskar spear. And that's what um, I was like, oh, my God. And then he walks through to the Mando music, and I was like, yes. Yeah, I I was kind of uh, just seeing it, like, real quick. I thought it was, you know, Boba, obviously, like you're supposed to. You're supposed to. But, yeah, I like the the, using the music to, I guess, tell most of the story. Just like at the end of last episode, you know, it sets it up. And even with – they don't even explicitly say it. You could probably predict it through like crossover but mm-hmm. just having his little you know the the little flute tone going and you know it's him it's mm-hmm. just so identifiable and, and i was looking for i mean i i think we both predicted it was coming this episode there's only two more six and seven and um i just uh the way that they teased ahsoka um you know they talked about there is a jedi go to this place i don't think that was the next episode you know, I don't think the rescue or, or prior, uh, the one before that where he sees Ahsoka, I don't think that was right away. I thought it was a couple episodes in between, um, but we never knew. Is, is she coming this episode? Is, is it this one? Um, but his reveal and just the stuff he did and the exposition, it was just wonderful. Um, and it was checking a lot of boxes of what we 
were wondering, hoping, thinking season three of the Mando was going to be about. And we learned a little bit more. Um, is he forever done with Grogu? Baby Yoda? Uh, clearly not. Um, does I, I, w- I wouldn't say done with, but more like moved on. Yes. If well, he's not, capable not moved on, of just moving on. A different mindset now. Because you see, in the fight, it really portrays that now that he has the kid gone, he's kind of do whatever I don't need to die. Sort of our Riggs mentality sort of thing that we made up. What's the Riggs mentality? Oh, oh, remind me. Do I have to define it? Well, do it quickly Um, because nobody listening to this knows what we're talking about. Everybody knows what we're talking about. So I developed this theorem, a mentality, if you will. Uh, Watching Lethal Weapon, uh, the main character, Riggs, played by uh, Mel Gibson, he's not exactly suicidal. But he's not going to do anything to stop him from dying. He's not going to do it himself, which it really, on the cop role, it's kind of an interesting mix. And so you can really see in this, he's more brutal. He's more lashing out. Like, he's attacking them, not like the uh, like a, a Mandalorian using their weapons to be all move around, dodge all the attacks, and then hit him with strong ones. Just He's just kind of flailing around, which obviously because he has the dark saber or black saber, and they say later that it's really heavy. And mm. so, you know, flinging around and he's untrained. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and with Riggs in the first lethal weapon, he is suicidal, hands down. He just can't kill himself. He's, uh, he just can't his wife died and all we don't need, we'll do a lethal Watson podcast or something. I don't know, but, um, he's very heroic because he doesn't care if he dies or not. Um, and that kind of makes it easier for him to, to end his life. Now the other at lethal weapons, et cetera, you know, he has a purpose. There's a girl and a family, hopefully and all of that. But, um, initially, yeah. So that's, that's the rigs mentality. Um, so now I, I don't think he was ever one in the, in the early Mandos and even, before we ever met him, I don't think he's one who fits that mold. He's a really good fighter, you know, and he wants bounties. And uh, but then he had something to live for, something to protect uh, as a character. The growth that he's gone through, not just with, uh, you know, caring for somebody, kids. It, it's a very solo life being those bounty hunters. His Razor Crest, his ship that blew up, that was his home. You know what I mean? That was his base. That was his his um his sanctuary um and now that that's gone it'd be interesting you know what you know is that naboo fighter going to be his base from now on it's a single Ah, single person spoilers okay we'll get to it sorry yeah if anybody's listened to any of these episodes they know it is clearly all spoilers um spoilers spoilers spoilers. before i forget uh stick around for the end where we answer our uh, first inaugural uh, Q and A submission uh, from the public, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that. And it's a really intriguing, interesting, uh, interesting discussion. So that's, that's definitely a end. question I would have thought of. I would not have either, but it's like okay, challenge accepted. Um, so the, you were talking about the dark saber, um, the fight with Mando. Well, he's there for a bounty, straight up doing what he did with the trackers, with the pucks, with the IDs that we saw with him and Grief Karga. Very on season one. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's how they track Baby Yoda. They beeps when he get close. It's like a homing beacon, um, and so he walks in, and there's a new character named Kaba Baez, um, and. 
I thought this guy did a really nice job. We're watching it. I thought this guy has to be somebody like a cameo. Yeah. Um, I looked him up and it wasn't. Uh, his name is uh, Artashir Radpour, but he's a stunt performer. He's in some of the upcoming avatars and he's listed in, I didn't scroll through all, but most, if not all the Kenobis. This goes hand in hand with giving face time, even though under prosthetics, um, but a significant screen time to uh, a type of um, entertainer who doesn't really get credit a lot of times. Are you referring if, to the uh, the female Tuscan? Uh, that's one of them, female Tuscan. But I was really thinking of um, how the Kersantan uh, 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 is mostly, um, you know, in a makeup department guy. Um, and anyway, so they're they're putting all of these crew members in a way um, and giving them an opportunity. And I thought this guy was wonderful, you know, especially with not much, if at all, any experience. Um, and I like I like that. Um, that was my critique a couple episodes ago when Steven Root showed up. He was too recognizable to me um, because I'm a huge fan. And uh, with this, it was just it was fine. It was a thug sitting around. It looked like he busted up a poker game or some sort of conference. <laughs> um and he asks for a, a Cabo Baez, and Cabo goes, you know, what makes you think he's here? Mando just whips out the tracker. Doesn't even say guy, anything, just pulls it out. <laughs> That's it. And he goes, if I see him, I'll let him know. Beat, beat, I see him right now. And he sets the puck down, and the dude's mugshot just hollows in front of him. Um, you know, and, and Mando says, you know, get, hey, guys, I have no quarrel with you. The rest of you, you, you can go, you know. Dude says, they're not going anywhere. Let's discuss our options. Play this scene back because this is, uh, there are so many chills. In, and this is all before the credits. And it's like a three, four minute scene. So let's discuss our options. The music dies off. And you hear him go, I can bring you in warm. I can bring you in cold. You know, his mantra <laughs> from the very first time, because first time we ever see Mando, he's doing this exact same thing fight somebody in order for a bounty you know what i mean and so it was just a a wonderful callback as we have a few others um uh this is the way you know things like that that it's really nice so the fight happens uh he starts to punch or whatever and then one of the clatoonians a dog-faced person bites him just the fight backhands they keep shooting him but it hits his armor and then he whips out the dark saber and what were your i mean we talked about it being clunky but did you did you love it did was it like eh, it's all right it it definitely wasn't a mandalorian fight like i talked about before but it was really interesting you know he's just like taking a beating and then you see he's not going to use the beskar spear because that's just like impractical by how close they are just whips out the dark saber turns around and he's like i'm gonna beat you without even saying anything then he just slices them all, you know. There, he's just grabbing them, you know. He's uh, keeps slicing them. Uh, I think some guy's arm comes off at some point. Uh, and then, you, you know, right at the end, he like he, you know, you can really see that he's not proficient with this new weapon. He mm. slices his leg, not like cut it off, but he definitely burns it like a close. It was like spray. a thermal burn. Yeah. Right. It just blistered the skin. Maybe he took a chunk off. I don't know. Uh, no, obviously, no blood, so it's not a losing a limb situation. Um, it, I guess the, there was so much violence. 
And that one of the things I love about Star Wars, there, there isn't blood. Um, you know, uh, video games, there's not the blood. You know, there are laser fires, you know, stuff like that. Um, so there is, you know, death, etc. cetera. Um, but it's not gory. And this was the most violent I've ever, that I can remember. Other, okay, we cut Darth Maul in half. And you don't know that until he falls down the shaft. I get it. But he, the way he just unloads on him, it reminded me of first time we see Boba Fett in his gear in, you know, and, and then he just goes nuts on everybody. Um, I did love the dark saber. The, and then finally, when he got Kaba uh, Baez, he stabbed him with a, a knife, a vibro blade and lifted the guy up with the blade and slammed him down onto the table. And in the next move, took the dark saber, bisected the dude and the table in one swoop. It's so just violent. Um, I don't know if he's working out aggression because um, we we haven't seen him that way. Um, can you think of him fighting too many people at the same time? Just him? Maybe two or three, but not a whole room? I, recall? I can only remember him against four. Not actually fighting them, but I he's never done this before. Compare it to Boba when he walked into Tashi Station and just kind of beat up on that Nikto gang. Yeah, he's never done anything like that. I mean... Obviously, he didn't have a dark saber, but and the, it was just. Anyways, I was just blown away. It was maybe my favorite opening scene of, of any of them. It was just, it was a surprise. He's there, and, and I just really dug it, and it made me happy. Um, I so I was glad. Um, so after he kills him, he walks back out into the meat prep room where really they're butchers walking around, and he says, "Your boss is dead, and I have no trouble with you." And there's a pile of Republic credits, New Republic. You can have them if you let me, what do you say? Like, do, if you do me the honor of letting me pass. Something like that. I thought that his, he chose his words wise. He knew he was outnumbered vastly more than what he was in the room because these guys are all carrying their cleavers. Um, and then uh, they just run around him and pick up the credits and boom, Book of Boba Fett with a little bit of Mandos in there as well. Yeah, I think. it was the Boba Fett theme, but kind of interlaced, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like in. just one because it ended. It was almost like they uh, they meshed them, like a some sort of yeah. a dissolve over from what, Crossfade or something. Uh, great, great. Yeah, so I enjoyed that. Do you have anything else for that scene? Uh, no, not really. Uh, after this, after the intro, we cut to mm -hmm. big, wide, like huge space shot then we see turn we see this big like band almost like uh the the halo from halo uh you mentioned that it looked like uh the the spinny thing from elysium with uh, it's a Matt big Damon. space station yeah, slash city huge city you know it, it feels like coruscant ring. really uh and yeah he's just walking in the streets and then uh like the light shines on him so obviously there's some sort of like day night cycle here and so he's just walking and pulls up to this cantina where he walks upstairs and we meet the uh, who, who he is doing the job for, for Cabo Baez, who is, like you said, an Ishi Tib, which I think we've only seen twice. I can't uh, What, in, in Boba Fett? Uh, no, like before. Um, um. One, yeah. uh, one was in the movies, and then one was in the Clone Wars in the Galactic Senate. 
they're, they're they don't talk usually. They're yeah. just background characters. Yeah. Um, they kind of uh, you'll just have to look them up, folks, to see what they look like. But they got little beak mouths. Like it's like a big bird with a fish. Yeah. Bravo, word, yeah. Um, and they never really had dialogue of substance that I can recall, maybe in the cartoons, but I, I doubt it. Um, but this lady, um, her name was uh, the the woman, they don't, I don't think name the character, but the woman who voiced it, her name is Helen Sadler. She's a voiceover actress who does a ton of Star Wars games amongst other stuff. And did you see that she was Ray in the holiday yep, Lego I special? I did see that. Because she was so good, I had to look up on the Lego special you when I it watched was Daisy it, Ridley. It very well could have been Daisy Ridley. This woman was wonderful, great actress. Um, she kept having him trying to get him to sit, um, you know, and he did, he just wanted the information. He wanted to know where the nearest access shaft to the substrata, substrata. And there's a lot of dialogue in this episode that's very um, space unique, geek unique metalhead gearhead unique well, especially yeah, when he gets with pelly the substrata is just like the substratosphere like it's oh, part I, of the oh atmosphere. no 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 i, see I, how I know they that got... i know that you know that but I, I see how they got the word and why yeah but not the underground or something more specific but maybe he didn't want to tell them what he was looking for that could be um but they want him to hang around hang around he's like listen you know keep your reward if you're not going to tell me fine i can get money from this clatoonian the, oh, did we talk about the elevator ride? How he's, I don't think I mentioned it. After they, uh, the butchers let him walk by, he, he was holding a head in a bag. And so then he was walking through the streets before he got to the bar and just gimping along, you know, dragging out in pain. And you know, one of the beautiful things I loved about not just the night and day is when you looked up, it's outer space. And it's just gorgeous and beautiful. And it is something that they showed in Elysium. Um, you said Halo. Really, any space movie that has a station with its own gravity system, it's usually spinning. You know, the Martian, you know, when they had their transport back and forth, it's always spinning to that uh, centrifugal force, you know, to get to make its own gravity. Anyways, it was beautiful. But there was a funny moment in an elevator when he was going up with some weird looking alien. And the alien just looked over at Mando, looked down at the bag, and then Mando looked up at him, and they quickly looked forward. They said dope. nothing. <laughs> and it was, there are just so many little comic moments throughout this. And at one point, it wasn't this early, I was like, I don't think Richard Rodriguez, or Robert, excuse me, Rodriguez did this one. It just had a different feel. And that's not a slight against him. You know, they can only direct what's written. You know, and so John probably figures out in Favreau and if Filoni's inputting it, they just figure out which director is best for this type of episode. And Bryce has the heart. We saw it in the Krill Farmer, a potential romance with Mando, you know, um, and yet she knows action because then in the Bo-Katan episode, there was a lot of action. So this episode just I thought. It was just good and tons of exposition. Um, and so anyways, he, he drops the head and walks away and says, I'd put that on ice if I was you and just walks out and that's it. And then he gets in his elevator heading down to the substrata. But the moment the doors close, you see him just lose his composure. You, you see him, you know, he got the information. He was hold, maybe holding himself up in order to 
um, maybe he was afraid of being challenged and had to be ready. And now he had a moment to himself. And so he finds his way down to the substrata. Why don't you walk us through up until he meets somebody? Uh, right after he gets out of the elevator, he's walking around what looks like a mechanical industrial district. Some underground thing? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he turns on his little uh, Mando visor scanner, and we see all these, like, very similar to the Mandalorian, like, mythosaur little design. And they're just symbols, like, a little, like treasure hunt or something and i'm like I'm just, turn left here yeah, yeah. turn I'm, right I'm just, here if this was just like only for specific mandalorian scanners or if anyone with like a pair of goggles can find them i see or i'm i'm assuming if they're all like secretive down here they would be just mandalorian scanners uh but uh he walks uh through a door which is very low security and he's walking he's limping he almost falls out into space there well, he was dropping off the ladder yeah he, he had to go fell. even further he's mm -hmm. basically floating in space at this point and down on this little like platform you see a, a figure in the distance you know and it's the armor who i right. thought we'd never see again you thought right. we would see again we and never knew what happened to her. Can you re remember the last time we saw her? Uh, last time we saw her, she was just kind of beating up on the stormtroopers on Navarro, like right before, uh, right after the like the big where with the, with the armor and helmet pile near the end well, of season two. Yes, but but we uh, let me just back up a bit. You can continue. That's right. Um, they, they have an underground covert, right? That yeah, that no one. They only let one Mandalorian go up. On Navarro, in those early seasons, only one goes out at a time so that nobody can lead them back, right? And then Mando steals Grogu back, Baby Yoda, right, from Werner Herzog, the client. And then he's going to get killed, and all of the Mandos come in and start firing and save him. Remember all the jetpacks and the battle? Yeah. And that's where the covert got really wiped out. And then we come back when they're escaping towards the very end of the, the, the fir first season. I think it was the first season, the very end of the first season and they were escaping and we meet her again and she's cleaning up all the Mando stuff. And, and I assume Beskar collecting it all. Yeah. And that's the last time I think we really see her. Um, and did she died is the covert dead. Um, and her name, the actress name is Emily Swallow. I think she just does a great job as well. Uh, I don't know if it's her behind the suit when they're moving around, um, but she just has a very uh, authoritative demeanor about her that's um, really impactful. And I love how they all listen to her. You know, is that a form of nobility? Is it just respect because of armor and she makes it and they are nothing without their armor? I don't know. I don't know, but I, I was really happy to see her. She got a ton of screen time, not just smelting Beskar. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, and so Mando and her uh, start having conversations. Um, they haven't seen each other. We see another character that we've seen before that Mando and him keep button heads, uh, Paz Vizsla. And can you talk a little bit about the history of the Vizslas in Star Wars? Um, through the history, through uh, Rebels and part of Clone Wars. Clone Wars, yeah. Um, uh, Previsla is the name of uh, the Death Watch sort of founder who got his own gathering of sort of these like 
offset Mandalorians who are kind of like the extremists. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what weapon did Pre Vizsla have? Oh, the the dark saber as well. That was the first time dark saber showed up, and he would use it, and he ended up fighting Obi Wan with it in the. Well, that has to be the Clone Wars then, yeah. if Obi Wan fought him. But uh, the Vizsla, he was always in charge of this renegade death squad, right? Death Watch. Um, and so this Paz is of the House Vizsla, brother, who knows. But this guy looks like <laughs> Dave Bautista in some big armor, you know, just massive. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Pedro Pascal is a big guy, but he looks maybe 5'9 next to this guy. And it's just massive. Yeah. massive um and so he whips out uh he falls he's hurt and paz goes over to uh to spray the the back to spray which i was wondering why didn't he do that to himself before when he got hurt why wouldn't you carry that around with you i i, I don't know he didn't have it with him though it saved his life um at the end of the first season after a big explosion the first time he has to remove his helmet and ig11 because he goes no human seen my face well i am not human and so he takes it off and he sprays and it saves it saves his life i would always carry that with me that sounds like it's a an automatic uh life rejuvenation like in a video game why wouldn't you carry that with you i don't know so anyways he has it and he sprays him and this is the first time they've talked since the the group in essence sacrificed themselves for him and mando says right to paz he goes, I'm sorry for your sacrifice. Thanks for saving me on Navarro. Mm -hmm. There are three of us now. Only three. Only three. And they're all right there. I assume he's talking about Mando now as being the third. Because in a little bit, she has to welcome him back to the covert. Yeah. So I don't know. There's three or four, but let's just assume he's the third. Um, and then uh, she goes, what causes that wound? And he hands her the dark saber and gives all of this information about it that uh i guess we knew it was important mm -hmm. we knew that everybody that's had it wants it and we heard bo katan and mandalorian talk about it must be one in combat and they talk about that here but we never figured out why she cared so much that it had to be fought in combat and so we heard a little bit about her history do you remember that yeah Going into detail, I heard described very much. And he goes, have you heard of Bo-Katan? That is a cautionary tale because they talk about that. The, the saber, one warrior will defeat 20 and the multitudes will fall before it. If it's not one in combat and an undeserving gets it, it's going to be a curse on the nation is what she said. Mandalore will be laid to waste and everybody will scatter because she claimed it just based on her bloodline and but and her house you know and and uh you know mandalorians what she say they laugh we've been around ten thousand years and the empire couldn't even last 30 and so we will always be here um and uh what was really intriguing was the history of it where they said that the mandalore the person in charge tar vizsla was a jedi and the leader of mandalore and he forged it he made it and at that moment I started to think, oh, surely that's common knowledge to all the Vizslas, and maybe that's why they really want them. So I'm not too surprised, spoiler, when Paz wants it later. I don't know if that was yeah. that obvious to and you. It's a great way to mix cultures uh, 
they mentioned that the the black saber hilt was made of best car. So dark saber, dark saber. They said black saber. Did they? Yeah. Oh man, it's always been dark saber. I missed it. If they called it black, I apologize. I think they said it. Whatever. I might be wrong. Okay. The dark saber hilt was made of beskar, so combining, you know, lightsabers, Mandalorian tradition from the, the caves of Mandalore. Yeah. As you will. Yeah, we'll get. We'll definitely get to that in a bit. Um, and so with the Empire uh, wiping out Mandalore, and we get to f- actually see what had been alluded to when uh, Moff Gideon was talking smack, like the first time we saw him, and he talked about the night of a thousand tears. Um, and, um, you know, that we get to see them just, my gosh, just lay waste. There had to be hundreds of tie bombers just f- driving over, yeah. blowing them up, blowing up that big dome-like thing that kind of looked like a droid separatist, you know, globe from Geonosis. Yeah. Um, it was just... So amazingly brutal, uh, almost an atomic bomb there, and it just killed everybody. And very reminiscent, what allusion to a fantastic action movie Yeah, uh, came I, up I, next. I found that it looked like frighteningly similar to in Terminator, how like- When Skynet like, Yeah, falls, when, when yeah. we see the future and it's all like burnt and ashy, like everything died and everything's on fire, it's, uh, they, they look very similar. Very it, well that and their robots walking around killing <laughs> yeah. anybody that's alive. Probably, I don't know a reference to it. I would think so, but uh, they take no prisoners. They're just a night of a thousand tears. So I mean that's just that was crazy. So we learned the importance of it. We learned why Bo couldn't just take it for Mando at the the end of Mandalorian. Um, it has to be one in combat because she's already lived through this once. And it has to be earned because of this creed, because of this belief. Um, and so that's uh, that was just a um, a really cool visual. So I, I dug that a lot. Um, the smelting. They finally the next short scene has um, Boba huh, wrong Mando and Paz <laughs> setting up her smelter, her her big fire. Um, where she has been making, every time we see her, making uh, Beskar armor. And she asks, where did you get that? And he goes, a Jedi gave it to me. Ah, but it's made of Beskar. And since the Beskar can pierce Beskar, yeah. um, that's, it's a threat to Mando. And so we got to get rid of it. He goes, here, Forge take it. it. Forge it and make armor. And who does he want the armor for? Uh, Baby Yoda. Or Baby Yoda Grogu. and Grogu. And so we get to talk a little bit about that. And uh, it's during this this moment, during this forging, we get that information about the history of Bo and the history of the Night of a Thousand Tears. Um, and he says he wants it for Grogu. And she goes, he's no longer in your care. He goes, I want to see him. I, just I want to make sure him. he's safe. In order to master the Force, Jedi must forego all attachment, which we know. He probably doesn't know. And he goes, that is the opposite of our creed. Loyalty and solidarity are the way. Um, and I just find it interesting to see how his mind is processing. Um, and if he struggles with seeing Grogu again and then having to leave him maybe permanently, um, you can understand uh, it would be not out of his creed. It would be honoring the Jedi creed um, to not cause a distraction and attachment. And that could be pretty interesting, I think. 
Um, ultimately, he makes uh, we don't get to see what is made, um, but we can kind of figure it out based on uh, the little ringlets that are being made. Yeah. It looks very much like something from Lord of the Rings or really any knights, you know, some sort of a chain okay, mail. Something. stuff. Yeah, well, well, that. Yeah, the mithril. But yeah, um, that was a good pull. That's nice. Uh, but what we really wanted, I think what everybody would love just for cuteness is is a make him his own Mando helmet. Um, <laughs> yeah, they sell and, a lot of toys like that. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? But the thing is, his face and his eyes are so cute. You'd have to, like, cut out a space for him and then his ears out the side. Yeah, it wouldn't be a very good helmet. It would be a horrible, horrible helmet. It'd be more just like wearing a ball hat or something. Um, and so that's uh, that, that plays out the armor. We get just a lot of exposition, which is good and helpful. We see a little bit of what Mando wants. He wants to see Grogu again. So maybe, you know, third season. Um, and uh, he's back with the covert. So that's big. You know, his identity is all about being Mandalorian. Um, so next scene, they're training, uh, training on a long walkway um and uh visually really cool just a long just platform right you know who knows 10 feet wide um but underneath it is empty space and if you fall out you're gone and he actually he's fighting the armor they're practicing he's trying to get trained i guess with the dark saber how she knows much about it why do you think she knows so much about it is it just her experience i think it's just i don't think there's some sort of deeper meaning with this like she's also part of the Vizsla clan or she thinks she gets it i think i don't know part of understanding the mandalorian history is understanding what that is and if she has to make all the weapons she's probably knows yeah. all the weapons um and um, she says the Darksaber will win if you fight against it. You can't control it with strength. You can't just manhandle it. Um, the blade's heavy. You see him drag it on the ground, which takes us back to that first fight, um, which I thought was just for show, but uh, he was he was struggling with it. And so you watch that first scene again after this part, you see a little bit more of, okay, yeah, he's always been. And it's strange that it, why is it so heavy? It's just light. When he carries the handle... It's not heavy, but he know. turns on maybe, light, and maybe now it's there's weight. with something. Like, if you, I don't know, it's some sort of lesson put into it. You, you've, I don't know, you follow it, you believe in it, and it'll make you stronger. Well, it was made by a Jedi, so maybe there's some there's force some connection. For force lock on it. Whether he has the force or not, I don't know. Um, but uh, she goes, you can't control with your strength. And he says, okay, I want to try again. I love this line. She goes, persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome. It's kind of like if people, you keep repeating the same mistake and you just hope it fixes itself. It's not, you got to learn from it uh, and, and make a different choice. Um, so I just love that. She goes, your body's strong, but your mind is distracted. I'm focused. The blade says otherwise. So just some good coaching training. Um, there's a great moment where, she strikes at him with both of her Beskar tools and they're starting to burn on the dark saber and you see his arm is holding it and it's dark starting to burn too. Just great visuals, great visuals. Um, so Paz enters Paz Vizsla has been watching this and he says, maybe the dark saber belongs in someone else's hand and the fighting stopped. Amanda goes, maybe it was forged by my ancestor. Now it belongs to me. And so that 
subtext of um, there was a great visual when she hands the Darksaber back to him a couple scenes ago. The shot is dead center is Vizsla, and he's looking down, watching it hand out, and then he just kind of looks straight up. You know, so he's you just kind of see it coming. You kind of see it come. So talk about this uh, this fight because there's a duel. She se- she steps out of the way. Goes. Do you agree to this duel, Din Djarin? I do. Do you accept it? I do. Uh, and so talk talk about the 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 fights and and stuff. I never knew it was customary for Mandalorians to take off their jetpacks before going into the duels, which they do. Probably, I wonder why though. Probably make Just I to... don't know because they're in space, and you kind of lose if you fall off, so you shouldn't be able to jump around okay so here's a question really quick and i hate to interrupt you so they're taking this off and we've already seen mando din fall off and blast back up wearing his jetpack so now if someone dies if someone gets thrown over and there's only three mandos around doesn't that seem like a i don't know crazy gamble them. i don't know i think it's more just so that you don't you aren't like flying around yeah, maybe levels the playing field a little bit. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so then they start fighting. They start fighting. Um, you know, you see a big brute, a big Hulk-type guy, and you see Mando struggling with uh, wielding his Darksaber. And it's not until he gets thrown off the onto another platform and he loses a Darksaber do you actually get to see Mando moving around swiftly again. And that's when the battle turns. Because Vizsla picks it up, um, you know, and it's, you think it's almost done. Like, he's going to die, but then Mando starts uh, moving around, you know, like a boxer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, pulls out, I think you said Vibroblade, like from earlier. Uh, yes. He well, keeps getting t- tossed into the big pipe, you know. Not yeah. really a pipe, but hanging from the ceiling. And it's he's just getting banged on, you know, shell shocked like uh, how the uh, the dark troopers did in the finale of the Mandalorian. Yes. And just pounded just and pounded him, pounding him into it, you know. And so, uh, and then he's about to, he's like at the throat of Paz, and he's about to kill him before the armor steps in and says, like, yield, you know. We, there's only three left, so don't kill him. Which, I guess, your question does make sense. Why would they be having their jetpacks off? That's my. That's one of those I'm like, okay, if they never were going to be to death, you know, maybe yeah, just keep even? them on. Put the life vest on for if you fall overboard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, Do you remember that they actually fought before down in the armor It wasn't really space? fighting. They just kind of pushed each other. Well, they start – weapons were drawn, and they were scraped against their, their armor – and yeah. she stops them and when she stops them she asks them have you taken off your helmet and no each each says no and then they say this is the way and that kind of centers them and calms them down and so here she asks paz have you taken your helmet off no din have you no response very long because he could lie and just move on but this guy is about honor and truthfulness. And, you know, even when he saw Boba Fett and Boba wanted the armor, he's like, you're not Mandalorian. You're not going to get the armor, you know? So he's very much about the creed. And he goes, I have, 
And she instantly says, then you are a Mandalorian no more. And I beg your forgiveness. You know, he wants to know what can he do? How can, what is, how can I atone? And she goes, well, and this is what's interesting because this is new info for us. According to Creed, you can be redeemed in the waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. And so Grogu and the mines, the waters below. I mean, we know he's going to Mandalore pretty early in the next season. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. To be redeemed to, I don't know, wear his helmet more, um, start over, hit the reset button. Um, I don't know. But uh, it's just one of those, again, objectives that uh, we were curious about what he was going to have to do. Um, But, yeah, so if she was always going to play the referee and she just stops it when it's clear who's going to win the fight, then there's no need to kill them. And plus, you don't want to cut your your entire population, your your covert population uh, by a third. Um, Good. So he just picks up the dark saber and walks out without saying anything. No one looks at him. She doesn't turn and watch him go. And we see him up in a spaceport and back amongst civilization. Uh, And he walks up to a passenger ship. These passenger ships, um, they look familiar to me. They look very similar to the ones that are landing in Mos Espa where um, the pikes come out of. Is that, did they look identical to you or they are something the exact similar? Same ship. Are they exact? I just noticed the, the ramps seemed very similar to me. There was a funny moment here. Again, a little humor here, a little humor there. Um, he sets off the, uh, I guess, weapons detector. The TSA agent stops him at the weapons detector uh, and he has to check all of his weapons. Um, and so there's that comedic scene of any movie with some big action star who has all of the weapons. You see them dropping them onto a table or a bed, and then somebody always goes, is that it? And then they have to pull the ankle gun out or a couple other things. And so he just emptied out everything, even his rope. And uh, he took a he, he was forced to check his bag at the gate is really what that looks like. Yeah. Because he checked it, they gave him a little ticket, and he went on board. And I, I loved it. Uh, here I noticed he actually empties out his whistling bird container. And the, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. He might have made a second batch with the armor. I just don't remember that actually happening. Uh, at just the last couple scenes, I don't think that they made anything for him. Maybe he has a connection. Um, he got some made in the first season, but he's definitely well, used them before. Yeah, then. I don't know because uh, he tries to use them against the dark trooper in the season finale. And against, they don't. They didn't work too well. Yeah, it just flies all over. But he doesn't and, have them anymore. Because Moff Gideon goes, you've used them all. Because he could have easily killed Moff Gideon with them yeah. when they fought. So, yes, he's gotten some more uh, in, in the time that's uh, passed. So there was a funny scene here, you know, just really cute and short. And so he gets and he sits in. It looks like, a, you know, a plane. He's sitting there. And a little green Rodian, um, a little kid, is looking over the back of their seat at him. Which is like, if you've ever traveled with a kid in front of you, they're looking over. Then you kind of wave at them. Um, the Rodians look like Greedo, you know, the one did Han shoot first or Greedo, you know, uh, big eyes, green, you know, little snout, um, but a cute moment, but Mando does not wave. He doesn't react. He just sits there. It's amazing to me how much can be conveyed by through a mask and just sitting there. There are videos on YouTube about comparing show don't tell between just uh, the scene in uh, season one 
in The Sin, where he gives away uh, Baby Yoda, where he's he's sitting in his cockpit of the Razor Crest, and he looks at the ball that uh, Grogu used to play ball. with, and then... On his little gear just, shift thing. You see yeah. it like, should I go get him? Should I go away? Should I go get him? And that same thing happened here. Uh, he looks at him, and you can tell that he's thinking about Grogu. And it's not this Rodian guy sitting there. It's Baby Yoda actually there. And green. And green. And, green. and small. And, small. Kid-like. And... Uh, I also noticed that his uh, like the little armor gift thing was tied up to kind of look like him okay. and his Okay, good catch. I didn't notice it until the second time through because all of the little ringlets are – it looked like just a balled-up cloth that maybe you tie it once like you would tie a shoestring. And so the two strings out of the side or bunches, uh, corners of that rag, it looks like a circle with two ears. And brilliant. Whoever, well, John wrote it. Maybe somebody else had some input, but what a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, and it just reinforces his him missing the kid. Um, and just how how far he's come is just in two seasons. He's only had 16 episodes, 17 if you count this one. And the growth has just been monumental. Um, did you find it weird? Because where's this, uh, this transport heading? Uh, Tatooine. Not just Tatooine. I mean, it. Did, they did say Tatooine. The city. What city? Mos Eisley. Uh, Mos Eisley. But I mean, the like... dirty one, the one that Mos Espa, you know, he threatened the watermonger. You know, if you don't like it, you can go to Mos Eisley. He's like, no, no, no. You know, you know, Mos Eisley. And while what I liked here is we did get to see more expansiveness of Mos Eisley. Um, it seemed to be. I don't know, maybe uh, the sun was going, suns were going down, but it, it did seem dirty. It didn't seem as white and glistening as Mos Espa's crater does when, when they had the flyovers. But who who goes to tattoo? Who vacations in tattooing? Not everybody's vacationing, but that kid is because later on we see the kid on the transport leaving. And it's like, why did we go to? And especially Moss Eisley. I don't know. Maybe he went somewhere else, Moss Eisley. Or uh, get, on Tatooine. That could be. You just land there and then they really wanted to go to Tashi Station. Those power converters are amazing. You go the whole way just through the bar. <laughs> well, they don't have Amazon, so you gotta you gotta go go there. Um, but it was just interesting that that so many people were disembarking where you in a place where that's been referred to as you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. And yet You're it's taking a your big, little kid to vacation there. Or at least, yeah, it is there. Um, so that was interesting. But once it, because we didn't know his most eyes, we knew his tattooing. And so he lands and the droid that he gets his gear from says, welcome to most Eisley. And then I'm like, there's only one person he knows that's on most Eisley. Pelly motto. And he's going to go see Pelly. And then instantly it cuts to her hanger, which the hanger looks straight up. Well, it's what it has been, but it's just a carbon copy of the landing base that Hans Falcon is in the first time we see the Falcon and they have to blast out of there. Um, uh, there's a womp rat running. And really, her whole scenes are comedy. And of course, and, uh, they kind of have to be it kind of. But she's given a lot more freedom, a lot more dialogue and a lot more laughs you and she is a very popular online uh, not online but a cable comedic actress amy sedaris her her brother is david sedaris 
who is a, a humorist writer, very funny in his own right. Um, but she she really got to uh, let loose, um, especially, you know, dealing with Jawas and things. So anyways, her small BD droid, you know, little pet thing uh, is being taken by a womp rat. You see her get dragged behind crates like you would in a horror movie or a monster movie. And until Mando walks down and shoots it and she goes, what an entrance. And it truly truly was it, it made me smile um there was a great easter egg though along with the pit droids there was another droid who came shimmying into uh into the screen a i don't remember red... like the actual like you know like r2d2 i don't remember that but i know it's skippy the jedi droid well that's that's from the the comics it's definitely not canon um but it is uh the call sign is r5d4 uh it is the same droid and i don't th- Maybe they showed it in Pelly's workshop this when we were there oh, a few yeah, other yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. If they, they did, did, fine. I, it's been a while. But uh, this is the droid that Luke and Uncle Owen buy the first time we see Luke in the A New Hope. And it starts going until it pops its motivator and it blows smoke. And 3PO tells Luke, hey, that R2 over there is really reliable. I've worked with him before. Hey, Uncle Owen, how about that R2? All right, we'll take the blue one. And so R2 replaces this droid. And so in the comic books, in, in one little arc, it wasn't a big thing. They, Someone um, felt that he was actually a Jedi droid and knew and sensed the Force in Luke and knew his role and place. And he had the name Skippy, uh, the Jedi droid, I think was the name of his little one ep- one you know, little 10 page arc or whatever. Um, so anyways, um, that meant nothing to people unless they, they knew it and saw it, but, uh, what a great fan Easter egg, uh, from the original to show up here in, in her workshop. Um, he's there because she sent out a message about he's got a replacement or she has a replacement for the razor crest. Um, and why don't you talk about the ship and and this montage and such so uh first we're like thinking oh my goodness it's gonna be another razor crest i can't believe it but no it's kind of a disappointment but also like a good surprise at the same time uh we see it's like a broken down naboo starfighter from phantom menace uh the same one that anakin flew around to go destroy the uh the big the droid ship it was the droid control ship that he flew into the hangars blew it up which at that moment the gungans and the jar jars tribe they were fighting and all those droids and they were losing and it was over down there until they all just deactivated so a very famous ship from the prequel era uh yeah and it's very reminiscent from um when uh I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian, how they, like, after the Jawas went and scavenged the Razor Crest, how he helped him rebuild the ship. Uh, they did the same here. Very true. Uh, just uh, sort of a, you know, back and forth. Uh, we're just going to help you build the ship. And we uh, find something very interesting that I don't think we've heard before, is that uh, Peli can get parts from Jawas. She just makes, like a, a like, a shopping list and gives it to them. And they find the parts for her. Hmm. Yeah, so, Jawas are scavengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, as we see when Cobb Vanth is inside, you know, and even with the droids from, um, you know, the movie. Um, and so they, she just, hey, what do you have? 
and can you find this stuff? And they'll just go out and steal everything. As we saw, you alluded to, um, well, didn't allude, you'd said it, that the they stripped the, the Razor Crest, you know, down to almost nothing. Uh, and so the Ugnot Quill, they had to put it back together. Um, this ship is not a big lumbering transport, not that his Razor Crest was a transport, but it's a small fighter that has an R2 unit port right behind the head, uh, which she took out. And so this is a one-person fighter. Um, and the, the yellow with the, the front of it looks like Anakin's pod race combination almost, how it had the two kind of thrusters out front. Um, but they did piece it together. Uh, it's hyperdrive capable, which is huge because uh, in the prequels, and then, you know what's really interesting, and, and I think I put a note somewhere to talk about it, is they're legitimizing the prequels a lot in um, you know the Disney Plus shows. Um, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, not having Darth Maul be dead, bringing him back, um, focusing on the Naboo freighter uh, fighter rather. You know, and there's a several other little things. But uh, b- back to Star Wars, the the Tie Fighters. You know, historically did not have hyperdrives. That's why they always had to be having hangers, and they would jump. The destroyers would jump in and then belch out all of their fighters, and then they'd have to get back on and then leave. X-Wings could just jump to hyperspace right away. And so this little fighter for him, it might not be home for him, but it does have that capability. He'll be able to get somewhere that's not on sublight engines. Yeah, uh, in this scene, I also, I also noticed uh, when that, the little droid is showing him where the part goes right after that, uh, right after he puts the piece on, he's like, thanks, droid, which is a huge step from... You know, back in uh, season totally. one and, and two, he's like kind of mean, no droids. He doesn't really trust them. The until... pit droids couldn't repair his ship. He did, told Pelly, yeah, don't let yeah. the droids near the Razor Crest. Until uh, IG 11 literally saved his life, uh, he's been more trusting of droids. He let him work on his ship in season two. And mm-hmm. that's one thing I noticed. But I also noticed that the pole, like some sort of. Defib- defibrilizer cryonic something. Okay, uh, that's impressive. I didn't remember that. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it's called. I, I just remember cryonic. But yeah. um, it had the same design as the the pole that uh, Han, Leia, and Luke are using to oh my God. hold open the trash compactor. In the trash... Here, here, get this. Prop this up. And it's already kind of bending because yeah, it's not yeah, a yeah, real... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bad prop. Fantastic, Nolan. Yeah. Um, I, I know like a ton of people saw that, but... I wonder if that's the same thing, though. I'm sure I, I think it's a, it, a connection. it looks the exact same. Uh, I thought you were going to say that, where did they get it? She goes, do you want to know? He goes, yeah. The Jawas took it. Yeah, off they took it from, from a pike thing. Right? A pike ship while they were around. <laughs> and there we Gutsy. find out a little bit about what she says that, you know, she says that it's gone to hell around here since the pikes have been running spice through, through the system. Um, and so he hears it maybe for the first time. Maybe he doesn't know much about it. Um, but that's going to help when he starts talking to Fennec later. Um, I found it interesting. This is just me being weird. She goes, everything's going to hell. Do they have a hell in Star Wars? I think it's just a slight oversight for the purpose of the saying. They're not going to come up with some random word for, as a replacement for hell. No. Well, they do a swearing in the books anyways. But, yes. And even in this, Dank Ferrick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, they said uh, Han. Yeah. Han actually says it. I'll see you in hell when he's riding the Tauntaun out to, to find Luke in Empire. 
you know, going out into the cold when they have to shut the doors and stuff. I don't know. Um, and it, so it's it's in there before. So I thought of it by hearing this. And she also says a line that's very Han-like. Um, I know she doesn't look like much, which is what Han says the first time we see the Falcon. But she's got to wear it counts is what the rest of the line. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed those. And and there's a line later when when um, he comes down after his test flight and she goes, how was it? And he goes, wizard. And I'm like, oh, my God, because that's what Wizard Annie yep. when they were kids with the pod <laughs> racing. Yep. And I didn't hear it the first time I watched it. The second time I'm like, did Mando just say wizard? And it, it just, again, funny little moments that I think anybody can relate to. And, yes, that little BD droid, um, another cute moment was uh, not just when he scanned the part, where does it go when it shows him, was he was providing the light when he was underneath the <laughs> little ship. higher, little higher, a little higher to the. This is straight up what you see if you've ever worked under a car with somebody else, or you have your kid helping you with something. And no, move the light over here so I can. See. It, it was just a cute moment, and I'm glad you talked about it. That the 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 again, I mentioned growth earlier, but you you went into detail and found it on your own of of how he changes and has embraced droids. Um, to a degree. Um, yeah, this scene to me, there was just so much dialogue of nerdy space junk stuff that John had to create or maybe borrowed from other things. It reminded me of a Rick and Morty episode. It was the one where they go inside their car battery. And I wish I had looked it up because uh, and inside the car battery, there was a little universe. It was a Stephen Colbert episode. And before they go in, um, uh, Morty says, oh, is it in the quantum battery? He goes, Morty, you can't just say like a science technical term with a car part. But yeah, it's in the, and he threw out another crazy name. But this went on for tens of seconds. Where oh, they're yeah, just, they're just geeking out. Geeking out, stuff. and you're like, Mando really knows his stuff. Now, Pelly and most mechanics that I've come in contact with, they know everything, and car enthusiasts. And it was neat to watch them I guess Bond. Maybe that's the most time they ever spent together. How much time passes? Who knows? The only thing is when the Rodian leaves later, their vacation's over, and they left Tatooine. So he's been there a while. This isn't a one-day build. Um, but she shows him a switch. She called it a Kinesio switch. And really, uh, and and she, she says, you know, push that, and you're going to be fine. He goes, no, I'm going to blow out my engine block manifold, whatever it was. Um, and she goes, no, this is it. And it reminds me when we see him use it later, it's like the NOS switch in the Fast and the Furious stuff uh, where he doesn't go to light speed. He just goes flying really, really fast. Um, and this is a, a theater term that Chekhov, a famous Anton Chekhov a, a writer, um, a Russian, he had this theory about a gun. If you show the gun in act one, you better have used it by the time you get to the end. It, and so when we see time spent on this switch, you know it's going to have to get punched, yeah. right? You know, the uh, in the Falcon, don't touch that or else you'll be floating home. Don't t What is that? At some point, that button's going to be touched. You know, those those levers are going to be pulled. Um, and so, uh, I, I don't know, it just brought out a, an acting theater thing there where I'm like, okay, that's going to happen. And then it, it did later. Um, last little bit of this one here. Um, you know, uh, Pelly talks about the Jawas and she talked about how she dated a Jawa once. And I just kept giggling. And she goes, oh, I didn't go, well, you know, and they're hairy. And she kept talking about Harry. 
And then when she had to communicate with the Jawas, she starts talking in the gibberish, like if somebody <laughs> were to act like a Wookiee and go, whatever. Yeah. But she's doing all the manners. And comedically, I just thought it was really, really funny. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. And it was a great, a great little bonding moment and uh and one of them starts talking to her and she goes oh no no i'm i just need to work on myself right now and so he was asking her out yeah and she goes no i just need my <laughs> i need my space i'm just gonna work on myself right now i don't want to date right now and i just found that so funny so you understand what the job it's like understanding what r2 is saying just based on what 3po deciphers or responds to him so anyways just fun little moments um the episode's wrapping up here in a little bit uh, he decides to take it for a test drive, a um, little shaky. Um, but once he elevates and gets out of the landing bay, he just hits that throttle and he takes off. And what he's, oh, he goes, dank Ferrick, she's fast. And uh, they go through Beggar's Canyon. And again, um, bringing up a prequel and, you know, referencing. I mean, he goes through the whole podcast, not podcast, pod racing um you know course that you know the same shots we saw anakin and sebulba and everybody else whipping around we even see the ramp coming around a corner and takes you know in order to overtake sebulba later um which i haven't looked at a map recently but baker's canyon i think is really close to most espa and not right next door to most Eisley. so maybe he flew for a while i mean he goes up into the atmosphere anyway so i don't think it it matter he was he was hauling but uh, I just really, it felt like watching a new pod race again. And that was one of the most exciting parts of Phantom Menace, at least the earliest cool part before Darth Maul goes crazy later. Um, so I, I really dug that. I like it. Because Luke Luke talks about that in New Hope when they're getting ready to, to bomb the Death Star. Uh, Luke sells Biggs. Biggs Dark Lighter goes, it's just like Beggar's Canyon back home down the trench, you know. And we get to see that. Um, up close with uh with this, yeah. this new pilot so that's cool um he decides let's see what it's let's see what she's got he points the nose to the sky and takes off and i thought it was beautiful through the blue and slowly through the clouds and slowly through into blackness um and that's where he sees the little rodian with his snout pressed up against the glass you know yeah. looking out and mando just looks over doesn't even wave <laughs> you know he a little salute could have been good right but Mando just looked off and then he just he buzzed the tower like Top Gun, you know, it's just up and down, left and right. Um, and uh, and just not being very safe of other people. Yeah, uh, I guess like right after this, he's all spinning around, you know, and then another dank ferric moment, you know, uh, to uh, New Republic fighters, I guess, flying around him sort of like space police for Tatooine. Uh, and we see uh, there's two of them. Uh, one of them was from the Frog Lady episode and later in season two of The Mandalorian. But also, um, the one that I guess talks more is uh, the actor's name is Max Lloyd-Jones. And uh, I guess this is interesting. Uh, he was uh, the Luke stand-in for the finale of the mandalorian which I the surprise was cameo mark yeah. hamill didn't stand there and hold grogu no, it was no. this guy yeah so I, th I thought it was nice to give him another role because they replaced his face 
you know, and put Luke on top of him. And so he was just getting credit for it. So just like, remember we were talking about the stunt people mm-hmm. getting screen time? He now gets screen time and gets to talk. Uh, Lieutenant Reed was his name. Um, and this was a comedic scene in, in as well, because every time we've seen X-Wings in Mandalorian, they're cops. They're policing the area. They're chasing Mando you know, in that frog lady episode, right? They're, um, they're, they're showing up at the end of the prisoner episode when he leads the tracker back after the Bill Burr episode. And the three X-Wing pilots come in and blow up the station. All three of those people, one of them was Dave Filoni, were all directors from that first season. So when these X-Wings showed up, excuse me, I figured we would know them. I didn't know who Lieutenant Reed was, but once the other guy starts talking, um, you know, it, it was like, okay, that dude, that's the guy who uh, in Navarro, uh, when we see, I think it was the siege uh, where he gives Cara Dune, uh, kind of enlists her help as some sort of, um, ah, did she have a title? Was she a ring? See, she was supposed she to was be in that new something. show Rangers of the New Republic, but I don't, she wasn't a marshal. No, she's a something. Some sort of a cop enforcer, whatever. Um, but anyway, so he, what happened is he got pulled over for speeding, reckless driving, and they have a conversation for 20 seconds or so. Exactly what a cop would say. Well, Let him off with officer? a warning. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, your registration, license and registration, but they changed it into the Star Wars lingo. And he goes, I'm sorry, I got a little carried away. Oh, that your parts don't match. Well, we just built it. I haven't registered it yet. So it's like if you're driving on your expired uh, expired tags, you just haven't gotten your new sticker yet for your license plate. And it was just funny to me. And then uh, right away at, at the end, when we recognize the guy whose name is Captain Tiva, um, I swear they called him Blue or Car- Cara Dune called him Blue at one point. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Okay. So I think he called him Blue. Um, but he all of a sudden you hear a voice. He goes, your voice is mighty familiar. Did you used to fly a Razor Crest? Silence. They just show Mando's helmet again. I think you've got the like, wrong person. Oh crap! I think you got the wrong ship officer. I don't know that you. You know, you sound like somebody who blasted out of Navarro. You know, and and that's where he flips his uh, a kinesio switch and just shoots off, not to light speed, but enough of a sublight engine uh, to get away. And again, just funny moments, little bit here or there. I just love the real world of getting pulled over by a cop and going through all that stuff. And him, he, he was being nice. He didn't shoot his way out. You know, maybe old Mando might have tried that. Um, so anyways, uh, they he goes and lands down uh, in in Pelly's place. And Pelly says, uh, how was it? Oh, it was fine. No, um, so your friend came by. Did he say lady? Did she say lady friend or woman? I think it was lady friend. Lady friend showed up. Who? Oh, don't worry. I, I said you weren't here. And then we locked the doors. We, we just shut everything down. And then, well, who was it? And then you hear Fennec Shand. And so she shows up. And just to wrap it all up there at the end, um, she goes, Bob, we could use your help. I need muscle, not not bounty. You need work. And he goes for Boba. She goes, yeah. And he goes on the house. And he tosses the coins to her that she had given him. And I thought that was really cool. But then he said a line that just makes me wonder. I think we alluded it, alluded to it at the start was, um, it's on the house, but first I need to see someone. Grogu? 
just to check. That's where I'm not sure. I think we're being misled, to be honest. I think we're all thinking it's Grogu. But who do you think Boba needs help right now? Is he going to really take off just to say hi to the kid? Yes, it's the kid. I think we should make a bet. I think it's somebody else. Okay, I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think, you know, uh, you know, who else could it be? I I have no doubt he would go and recruit Cara Dune if the actress hadn't gotten in trouble with Disney. Maybe they patched it up and maybe she comes back. That would be an, a great cameo. Does he go and find Mayfeld? You know, does you know they let him go? Does he go and find grief, Karga? I don't know what grief can do fighting wise. You know, he's older, but he still has a history. Um, maybe he can bring some other bounty hunters. But uh, when he says he needs somebody, needs to see someone first. If it is Grogu, we have two episodes left. I'd almost rather wait for Baby Yoda to show up as a plot point in Mando. Yeah. Next season. Um, we just have two episodes to wrap this up. If he goes away, then what is it? Half an episode of Boba, half of him. I think Boba still has a lot of work to do, uh, exposition-wise, to uh, to to build his whatever you want to call it, Pike Resistance, his own, you know, thugs. Um, and Mando will be a big help for him, but I don't know if we have much time to uh, spend on a plot B at this particular point. Yeah. Now that Mando's in the picture, I don't know. Does that? Uh, make you think anything differently or still think it's Grogu? Am I being just I, over overthinking yeah, you think? Yeah, I still think it's Grogu. Okay. Um good. So that's the that's the ultimate end. Um do you have any last notes of, of this particular episode? Uh no. Keeping with tradition, Curse O'Dowd. Has not showed up. Okay. Has not showed up. Chris O'Dowd has not been there. Um I'm curious um, you know, Mando probably won't get a ship right away. Maybe, maybe he'll get some sort of a reward for helping Boba out and Boba will gift him a ship, something with a hanger. Remember the big ship that Han in a force awakens and Chewie are flying around with when they grab the Falcon, they have their own hanger, yeah, other ships yeah. in there. May I don't think he'll get something that big, but maybe he'll have something that has a hanger for his, uh, what they call it an in one Naboo starfighter um but i'm curious there was something homely that he you could tell that he really loved the razor crest and it yeah. was his home and the bed and a refresher you know a bounty he can't go bounty hunting in this he has no place to store the bodies and he had his own cry you know a carbon uh carbon freeze chamber um so that, maybe that's more season three but that's just some thoughts that i had about it mm-hmm. um yeah, we talked about the plots, stuff setting up for Mando. I still want to finish up Boba. Um, I think fans probably really enjoyed this break uh-huh. from Boba. I think people wanted Boba from the start to be Mandalorian. But Mandalorian didn't start off that like that. You know, it had to build, um, you know, some pathos and emotion for the, uh, the characters. Um, and while we do know Boba, we there was a lot more we didn't know about him and needed to find out in those early episodes and through the flashbacks. So I think it's important. And, and uh, I hope that the best Boba episodes aren't the ones featuring Mando, you know, in the, I mean, they're going to be, I think for this, 
this season so far, this one's the best. Uh, of, of all the Mando episodes, we ranked them in our introductory. Yeah. Where would you put this one? Uh, I don't want to be all mainstream about it, but definitely this one. I think it's it's a is what your favorite? Yeah, it's a break. What was the other one? What do you mean? What the did other it one? overtake? Um, probably would have had to be. I mean, the first one. It's just, I don't know. It's establishing the show. Uh, and the tone. Yeah, yeah. It set everything up. I thought it was just interesting. Yeah, for me, mine is more about not necessarily favorite episodes, but just favorite moments of Mandalorian. Um, I think the last episode, you know, the rescue and then Luke showing up, and that was great. I thought the Crate Dragon one was awesome. I, those are two that I could watch over and over. Moments, Boba Fett showing up in armor for the first time is one of my favorite moments. Um, uh, Mayfeld. You know, the whole kind of the Vietnam yeah. illusion one, uh, the believer, um, the dialogue in that I loved as much as the dialogue of the armorer in this one um, with Mando and learning a lot. And it had action. It had funny. Um, the two women were so strong and present in this, the armorer and Pelly um, with different outcomes. But uh, I. Yeah, it's hard for me to put anything above the Luke showing up, though. Um, but this one was definitely a top two or three Mandalorian episode for me. It was one that just beautiful to watch that ring and space um, flying through Beggar's Canyon. It was just beautiful. I just I thought it was yeah. just a great episode. And then when the first credits, always a director and we see it say Bryce Dallas Howard. And it was like, perfect, perfect. <laughs> she did a, a wonderful job. And the writing has to be there, though, too. You know, so John, John did a good job, but he's writing. Uh, you know, as being the showrunner of Mando, no one knows Mando like he does. And so him writing it, it's going to make it uh, stand out. So wonderful, wonderful. Any last things about the episode? Nope. Okay. All right, folks. So now we are going to have our inaugural question and answer where our public sends us emails of um, uh, questions and we talk about them. It can be any Star Wars related question or it can be specifically to book a Boba Fett um or mando um our email address and you can find this in uh you know on the uh uh podcast information it's uh at gmail it's mallratspod at gmail and since our last episode we've hired a staff member a cat who is our social media manager and she will also be a participant of this q a um when her schedule allows it and tonight it doesn't allow it so she will share her findings and her answers next week um, but on Instagram, we are Mallrats Podcast, and on Twitter, Mall, at Mallrats Pod. Uh, and so uh, already she's doing a great job of putting questions out, counting down to the episode, relinking our stuff. Um, so if you have a social media presence, please just follow us, like us, whatever you call it. Um, and you can shoot us uh, messages at any of those places. Um, and uh, you can hear us uh, talk about it. And if you have opinions and such, put it in the writing and uh, we'll share them. So um, with that being said, our first um, email that we're going to talk about uh, on the show is uh, from Andrew from Fort Wayne, who says, if you had to recast Hamilton, the Broadway musical Lin-Manuel Miranda, if you had to cast it with Star Wars characters, how would you cast Hamilton? 
and that's perfect 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 two pop cultures uh, nothing has um you know rejuvenated broadway like like hamilton or uh, into pop culture not necessarily rejuvenated but has uh, permeated pop culture like hamilton before and star wars is the epitome of movies and sci-fi um so it's a nice little comparison so what Hamilton characters, uh, what Star Wars characters would you cast in the Hamilton roles? Uh, um, Nolan, why don't you just kind of walk through and and go through your mindset and your 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 yeah, rational yeah. reasoning for uh, your characters, and then I'll comment and then I'll share mine. Uh, I said for Hamilton, uh, adult Anakin, just because he's not really afraid to use his uh, I don't know, I guess power or beliefs, uh, like to influence or like use anybody mm-hmm. um obviously for general lee i put general hux and uh <laughs> for washington i'm a general we yeah <laughs> for, for washington i don't i don't this was tough i didn't i didn't want to put akbar just because he's a general but i did I, 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 you did I, go with Akbar. Yeah, I, I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't really think of it. But we had talked about really that fit. one before. I kind of think you stole mine there. I no, didn't that's steal okay. yours. Okay. Uh, for Burr, I said either like Lando or Han Solo. I don't. They just uh, each of the characters are. They're both like. They're very. I don't know. They they seem like they project like they, they have their own ideas, but they don't really voice their real ones i don't know oh. i guess like like they have some sort of like hidden veil of ideas uh lando for sure you know he's doing one thing but saying something else especially with uh, vader and empire for mm-hmm. sure which we don't really see bird doing much of that <laughs> well we see him always you know he's wait for it you know he's yeah. he's not voicing his because he's trying to play the long game and so, in a way, I, I think you made a good connection with those. Uh, I just said, uh, I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but for uh, Mulligan, I put Darth Maul. Uh, I, I know, I, I know you're going to disagree why? with me. Uh, I love Darth Maul. He's just he's so acrobatic, which in the show Mulligan really Very is good. too. And he's kind of like nimble and like spy-like, which Mulligan was a spy. Well, it's it's his big song, you know, with his big swear word where he jumps up, you he's know, like and flying comes around. flying. Um, and totally, you could see Darth Maul doing his little flips and stuff. So I think that's a good one. Yeah. What I, else you got? I didn't really find any much more. I, I wanted to be very like, I don't know, quote-unquote punctual, if that's the right word, for the Skylar sisters. So I just made them all the droids. So oh C-3PO, God. BB-8, and R2-D2. Okay, which one is which one and why? Uh, C-3PO is going to be Eliza. Why? I don't know. Is he needy? Yes. He wants to be loved? Yeah, he needs love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it just fits less with the other ones. <laughs> oh, okay. So then Angelica is the attitude. So yeah. we clearly know who your attitude droid is. R2-D2. Fan- Nolan, this is brilliant. And, I don't even but, want to share mine. Okay, you don't have but to. But go ahead. Keep going. You're uh, good. BB-8. Uh, would obviously just be Peggy. I mean, because like he doesn't have that vital of a role besides like carrying the the Skywalker map. Yeah. So I don't know. That that's really very creative and well done. I think you should end on that. That's that's oh, perfect. Okay. I I don't no, have I mean, any but more. Do, do you have others? I don't have any more. <laughs> okay. Well, you time that. You, you good job. Um, I really struggled with the main characters. 
of Star Wars to find a spot. Um, I was able to find more spots with the, the supporting roles, if that makes sense. Um, I guess let's just start off since you did the Skylar sisters. I'll, I'll have them there as well. And so I just cast them with uh, the male female lead, the, excuse me, the main female lead of each trilogy. So we have Padme, Leia, and Rey. Um, so for I start with um, Angelica, you know, with attitude and sass. Um, clearly it's Leia. I mean, the way she talks in A New Hope to Tarkin and even Vader. Um, you know, I smelled your foul stench when I was brought on board. Angelica, you know, can smell BS from Hamilton. And that's why she she ignores him and, and ultimately regrets her, her choice. Um, Eliza, you know, in love. Um, I went with Padme, obviously, in the love story of with Anakin. And then and Peggy, then it just has to be Ray. Um, just kind of a throw in. And that's not to diminish Ray's con- uh, contributions from the sequels. Um, my General Lee, I'm a general. Wee! I went with Jar Jar. Just um, Ugh, I could see so him. Me, me so run, you know, I thought that'd be <laughs> interesting. Um, my Hercules Mulligan, Lafayette and Lawrence. I wanted three guys who probably would have a good time drinking together and hanging out, you know, raise a glass to freedom, all of that. Um, so I have uh, Lafayette being Han um, and military wise. Lafayette's the guy who came in and helped Yorktown and Han came. Oh, hey, I just came up with this came in and saved Luke in the Death Star by picking off, you know, the ties that were chasing him. And so he came in and saved Yorktown. Han came in and saved the Death Star or helped blow up the Death Star. Um, so that was Lafayette. Lawrence, I have his Poe. You know, I think he would be a fun oh, guy. to. That's plus, I just love Oscar Isaac, but Poe would be good. So Poe and Han get to hang out. See, I don't think they talked in A Force Awakens, but – they would have had the scene together where they're talk sharing the info about Starkiller Base yeah. before they go on attack. So they're all in the same room, um, but they didn't. I want to see them bond. Uh, so then Hercules Mulligan could, I think, Chewy, you know, especially based on that visual of Oak coming out and just jumping, you know, doing his Mulligan, you know, you know, back up, you know, all of that. I think Chewy gangling around would be good, or Django, because um, I think Django could share a lot with with Poe and Han, and they could talk about shooting and, and stuff. My Washington, I thought of uh, here comes the general, rise up, and it would be general, you know, or technically it would be Admiral Akbar. But, um, you know, other generals could be Yoda. That could be a fun one where he comes walking down stage, you know, and and has his little sword (laughs) and saber. But what could even be better and cooler is old Leia come walking out. Here comes the general, you know, General Leia um, from Force Awakens. Um, I think that could be cool. I was struggling with Hamilton and Burr. Literally, Hamilton was the last one. And I just dropped Luke in there just for his journey, um, whether it was from his island, you know, in, in the, you know, in the Caribbean, survives a hurricane and goes up to New York. Um, you know, Luke escapes Tatooine. Uh-huh. Uh, Burr has to be kind of a narrator, somebody who's been there from the start all the way to the end. So I went with Kenobi, even though visually, how about this poll? I would love to see Dexter from Dex's diner in uh, Attack of the Clones, who tells, you know, ooh, that's a Camino saber dart. That's they're, interesting. They're, they're cloners. cloners. I just thought that would be kind of a cool visual of this guy up there, you know, being the narrator. Uh, what else? Jefferson, being the smooth man he is, what did I miss? Uh, Lando, clearly. It can be old or young. It doesn't really matter. They could rotate knights. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, King George, 
uh, is such a comedic part in the play. I couldn't really think of comedically who sh it should be. It's obviously got to be an Empire guy. Um, I guess Hux could be funny if we play him kind of whiny like he is towards the end. Um, otherwise, Tarkin or, or Vader, because Vader has to do something. We'll be back. You know, that could be really cool. Um, so visually, that would be great. And so this is a great question. Oh, Mariah Reynolds. Mariah Reynolds um, could be Maz Kanata. <laughs> that could be the way that she's, oh, where's, where's my Wookiee at? You know, so there's some affection she has for my Wookiee uh, and likes Chewy. Uh, did you cast the bullet, Ariana DeBose? No. Can you do a quick? No. No? I'd throw it in because I would love to see Porkins out there in his TIE fighter outfit grabbing that bullet and flying around. <laughs> or, if not Porkins, Babu Frick, who oh, was a, that, yeah. a, a fun scene in uh, in the very last one. So, um, Good. So that's mine. So next week we'll have our social media manager, whatever we want to call that, um, and she'll share hers and we can comment on hers. Um, one last thing before we go, I, I want to create a new portion of this um, uh, uh, Q&A, whatever, just a discussion. Um, you know, I was a fan of the, the what if um, shows on Disney Plus regarding Marvel if something changed, if Captain America wasn't Steve Rogers, but it was Peggy Carter instead, how does that change things? Um, you know, about 20 years ago, Dark Horse produced some Star Wars comics called Infinities, um, which if I read them, it was 20 years ago, but uh, the what if mindset got me going. Um, and talking to a friend recently, we were reminded of a Big Bang Theory where they say that, you guys, you realize in Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark that if Indiana Jones wasn't even in that story, it would still have the same ending. And I remember watching it and it was silent. You could see them all running through the movie in their head. How would it be different if Indy wasn't in it? And my buddy goes, you know what? They still would have found the Ark. It would have taken them longer because Indy shows them the well of the souls. So they find it because of him. But eventually they would have dug it up and taken it to the island and opened it up and everybody would have died. Mm -hmm. And so with that talk and thinking of if they could do a what if show on Disney Plus, how would it be different? How would it be different? And I'll just start off one, just like uh, um, in Mando, Mando episode one, IG-11 and Mando closing shot, they see that the asset that they're supposed to kill is Baby Yoda. What if IG-11 or Mando had shot Baby Yoda? That, Whoa. where would we have gone what would we have done I doubt the, all the growth we've talked about this episode uh, maybe he would have found it eventually but definitely not in the time frame that we had you know established and talked mm -hmm. about those 16 episodes so um, did you have any what ifs one or, or two yeah uh, I had uh, the Palpatine Vader and Luke fight if like something would have gone different like uh Vader didn't throw Palpatine down the the chute, or if Luke killed Vader, Vader killed Luke, Palpatine killed Luke, Luke went to the dark side. Any of these variations would be okay. So slow um, down. So right now, Vader is going to is saves Luke's life by picking up Palpatine and pitching him. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm just saying. There's so many different variations of that I fight. I see. There, yeah. Like I said, Luke could kill Vader. 
Palpatine yeah. could uh, kill Vader. I don't well, know. he has to Palpatine kill him in anger. Luke. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually does kill him, and he goes dark side. Mm-hmm. And Palpatine actually brings him in. That's a good one. That's a good one. Did you have one more? Uh, I did. Well, okay, um, hold on. We're not done with that one. So if Luke moves to the dark side, take that permutation of things. So that would be at the end of Empire. No, that's Jedi. What happens? What's the next story? What's the yeah, next? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's What What do you think would happen, what, though? What happen? That's what I'm saying. Would Luke, how long does he become? Because this is the rule of two, right? And you're familiar with the rule of two. Yes. The master expects the the uh, apprentice to try to kill them at some point. Only the strongest of the two should be in charge. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, how long does it take? What what transpires? Do they go hunt down, blow up Endor? Do they? I don't know. Yeah, I think like what probably would happen if like the two of them, as like Vader and uh, Palpatine, if it was like just them, they would probably I don't know. They'd probably take over everything, it, like galaxy wide empire, and then the whole like rebels story wouldn't happen. The whole mm. sequel trilogy wouldn't happen. And yeah. that's if Luke. If Luke was with Palpatine? If no, uh, well, yeah, or also Vader with Palpatine. Either way, okay, they're so still going to take over. Gotcha. Everything. So if maybe even if if Luke just died, died, and so it just plays out with, uh, you know, maybe uh, it he did uh, awaken something uh, within Vader that, um, you know, could still be redeemed at some point, and maybe the rebellion is not totally gone. Yeah. There's no wrong answer. It's just stuff. It's fun to really think about and talk about. Um, I just got one more and this is one I may have shared with you before. Um, Luke and Leia are separated at birth and Bail Organa says, I'll take the girl. My wife and I always wanted a daughter. We'll, we'll raise her as our own. We talked about this. Maybe we alluded it to it recently. Um, because why isn't Luke, Luke Lars? Cause it's Leia Organa, right? Um, so what if, Luke had gone to Alderaan and Leia had gone to Tatooine. So she's not a princess of Alderaan anymore. It's Luke Organa, Prince of Alderaan. Hmm. How does that play out? How does a young woman raised on a moisture farm? I think the rules would just be reversed. Really? Just completely? There's no difference? Probably not. I yeah. Just seems like they'd be the same. Well, that's not a very fun what if then. Well, what, what <laughs> I don't know. I I don't have it drawn out. Um but I just I'm curious. I think that would be an interesting thing uh to play. Okay, okay. So Han as we know him when he meets Leia is very chauvinistic, right? The man with a young girl and the way he talks to her and treats her, etc. Uh, and at that point, she's a princess. So what if she's a moisture farmer? How does he exactly the same react to her trying to come rent his falcon for transport? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. Um, so we'll just keep thinking about what ifs. Um, and do one or two, you know, a show uh, along with answering questions. If you have your own what ifs, please send them on in any of our uh, social media. As we said, uh, check the comments or the 
was it the the episode description um, to to find more uh, you know ways to contact us. All right, um, well that's it, buddy. That was a good one. I enjoyed that episode. That was very very long. Very well. An hour yeah, and that, a half. We had a lot to talk about with that one. Um, might not have to go shot for shot again if we really like an episode, just more generalities. But uh, if anyone has comments or questions, please reach out to us and uh, we'll get them on the air. Um, thank you so much for listening to Mall Rats Podcast. This is Bob. This is Nolan. And thanks a lot. Have a great night. Thank you.